Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. Hello, fellow intentionists. In today's episode, Hillary talks with author, mother, and special needs advocate Amy Webb about her upcoming children's book, When Charlie Met Emma, a book about a little boy who meets a little girl at the playground with limb differences. And this is a book that will help kids think about disability, kindness, and how to behave when they meet someone who is different from them. And Amy speaks really honestly about the day that she found out that her daughter would be born with four limb abnormalities and shares the details of her ever-evolving journey of love and advocacy for her daughter and her mission to create representation and awareness for people with disabilities in her special needs spotlight on her blog. She also gets really specific about the process of getting her children's book published and how by refining and finding her voice through weekly blogging, she laid a firm foundation for her work as an author. This interview was really inspirational to me personally, not only because I'm interested in the details of creative work and seeing the way people are able to manifest their ideas in the world, but also because these intimate details of Amy's experience that she shares as a mother and then her ensuing choice to really learn about others has resulted in this really beautiful educational platform where people can be seen and heard, and she's just really built a lot of access points for understanding around this topic. So a little bit about Amy. Amy Webb, aka Miggy, creator of the blog This Little Miggy Stayed Home, is a writer, artist, warrior mama, and advocate. This Little Miggy is a family and lifestyle blog that shares crafts, recipes, and lifestyle inspiration from the unique yet relatable perspective of a special needs family. Miggy is a passionate advocate for the disability community and writes about the issues her family frequently faces, as well as interviewing other families and individuals with disabilities, with the hope of changing perceptions one story at a time. And her book, When Charlie Met Emma, is due to come out in March of 2019, and you can find her online at thislittlemiggy.com. And now, here's the interview. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. So I wanted to just dive right into your story, and I think your story would be really hard to share without bringing in spirituality, because so much of your journey into motherhood, advocacy, platform building, and now being a published author has been about really following your intuition, laying a foundation and, and having faith in the process. Yeah. And so I wanted to start by having you taking us back to the day of the ultrasound with your daughter. Yeah. So I remember that day very clearly. You know, it was my husband and I, and then our, our only other daughter at the time, our oldest daughter, and we were going to the doctor to find out the sex of the baby. We were very excited. And I had the little concern I had was that I hadn't been feeling her move that much. Well, the, the baby, I didn't know. I didn't know for sure if it was a girl. I, I kind of felt strongly it was and hoped it was because I wanted my daughter to have a sister. 
so when we got there and I, I said right away to the ultrasound tech and I've been a little worried, like I haven't felt her, I haven't felt the baby move that much. And she said, you know, let's just, you know, let's just see here. And, you know, right away she, she said, I, I see a heartbeat. Oh, and it looks like your placenta is on the outside of your stomach. So she's like, that's probably why you haven't been feeling the baby move too much. And I was like, oh, okay, all of my concerns were gone. You know, everything dissipated. She put me right at ease and, and we were just happy and smiling and laughing. And, and in hindsight, I look back and I realized that as, as we were doing that as a family, that the tech was very quiet and very focused. And at some point I kind of noticed that she just seemed really, you know, intense on the screen. And I said something like, you know, we wanted to find out the sex. So I said, Oh, you know, can you tell if it's a boy or a girl yet? And she was like, yeah, I think it's a girl. I, th I think it's a girl. And it was, I remember thinking like, that's how you're telling us. Like what? Yeah. they usually, you know, do something like, okay, are you ready? And, mm -hmm. and she just kind of kept working. And, but even then I didn't think it was a bigger thing. I thought it was her and <laughs> maybe she was just awkward. And then after a couple of minutes, she just stands up to leave. And I go, wait, is that it? And she's like, I'll be right back. And she walks out the door and my husband and I look at each other and we just, we know something's up. And then he says to me, I feel like I didn't see an arm or like a hand on the baby, you know, because he has a medical background and he, he can, you know, where ultrasounds, you know, I can tell more now, but I wasn't really paying that much attention. And I was just like, what? Like, like so many thoughts going through my head at, at once. Like, does that even happen? Like people are bored without arms. Like, uh, like I almost sort of like, and then I was like, I guess that can happen. But like, no, 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 that's not this baby. Like whatever he th think he thought he saw no. And I imagine for like a half a minute, oh my gosh, what if I have a little girl without an arm? And uh, no, you know, they just put it right out of my mind. And the doctor walks in and right away I just say, is everything okay? And he says, no. Um, he said, well, the head, heart, spine, and lungs look fine. It's the limbs. All of them are misshapen, deformed, or in some cases, missing bones altogether. And I mean, that word for word, I'll never forget that sentence. And, um, and that was just, bam, you know, punch in the gut. And he's continuing to talk. He's just throwing out all these terms like, you know, dwarfism. And I don't know if this is a skeletal dysplasia and, you know, and he's, he's just saying this stuff. And I just, and it was just like someone was pouring like water over my face. Like I just can't catch my breath. You know, he's just like, his words are just like, you know, choking me almost. And, and I finally start to ask a question and I get like halfway through and then I just like burst into tears and like bury my face in my hands and I feel like that's the only time in my life I've probably legitimately done that. And, and that was kind of it. And they, I remember the, the tech took our oldest daughter out because she was three at the time and she's obviously confused. And, you know, and she's like, let me go get you some crayons, you know, and we just talked to the doctor and he, you know, immediately he's like, yeah, you just, you need to go see a specialist on Monday. This was a Friday. And we actually were like, well, we're, we're leaving on vacation on Sunday. We're supposed to go on this Disney cruise, like with, my husband's family and going to Disney world, you know, so then we're thinking we've got to cancel this vacation. Like we can't go like this. And, and I think in my mind, it was sort of like, Oh, well we can't go. Cause they, they got to fix the baby. Like somehow for a minute, I'm thinking like, Oh, well we got to go see someone so we can take care of all this. And then realizing, and then after, you know, a little bit, we, we realized, well, that that wasn't going to happen. You know, the situation was going to be what it was going to be. And we ended up going on the vacation and uh, you know, the first 
24 hours were really hard and we cried a lot and we, you know, we just had so much fear and worry. And then, you know, we had some people in our church, you know, Hillary, you know, we have a Mormon background too. And, and one of the people had just lost a baby, like one, the husband, they had just lost a baby like two months before. And it was weird because I was actually on the phone with his wife right before our ultrasound, same doctor, like same, she was like, you know, good luck. And she, I, she was actually going to walk. I was going to drop my oldest daughter off after the appointment. And, um, we were like, this both happened at the same, you know, she found out at their 16 or 18 week ultrasound. Ours was an 18 week ultrasound. And, um, anyway, and I remember saying something that I felt so bad about, like, yeah, wish us luck or something. And then I wanted to kick myself because I thought, oh my gosh, like, don't say that to her. She lost her baby, you know? Cause like her baby, they ended up, their, their daughter had, um, a fatal condition. So they came over, her, the husband's husband came over and someone else and they gave us blessings. And I really just felt, I, I really did feel that peace right away. And not that I knew what was going to happen or anything, but I felt like it's going to be okay somehow. And I, and I didn't know what that was going to mean, but it was weird because when I look back on that vacation, it, it was amazing. You know, we had just gotten that news on Friday and we, and even, you know, we were there with my um, husband's sisters and, and they're both like, how are you guys so calm? And I'm just like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I can't change anything. It's, it's, it is what it is at this point. So, so then bring me to, so, so this is pregnancy. Yeah. And I remember this so vividly because this was like early days of blogging right. and you and I were pregnant at the same time and I've known you since college. And so I had been following you and I remember you were documenting yeah. this because you were just documenting your life. And so right. then this happened and you were writing very honestly about it. And I think this has been one of those things where you've continued to, this has been something that has grown and, and out of this has you become this amazing advocate. So now we know what it was like before, but then lamp arrives. And yeah. for our listeners, lamp is her yeah. Yeah, pseudonym, her, her no alias, yeah. her, her fake yeah. blog name. Your daughter's name is not actually right. lamp, but that is what you referred to her on the blog. As, yeah. on the blog. So lamp is born. Yeah. So now what? You know, that was the amazing thing is that, you know, when you go through this process of having a pregnancy and you have one of those like terrible ultrasound appointments that no one wants, and you've been given this, you know, what at the time seemed like just horrible news, you know, it's just like all the celebration just kind of goes away and you're mourning and you're trying to figure things out and you're, you know, trying to like wrap your mind around it. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't know what, what she was going to be like. There was even some concern if, if her condition was compatible with life. And anyway, but by, by the end of my pregnancy again, I was excited for this little girl. And I felt so happy that I, I was like, yes, I want to celebrate her life. Like this is my baby. And so that returned and that was really a huge blessing to me. And so she was born and I, you know, just immediately loved her and immediately, I don't know. It, it was just like, there. I just had no fears anymore. And it, you know, and, and again, this is personal. I know that is not everyone's story, but I really just, you know, things were going to be okay. And, or, you know, through my, oh, my pregnancy, we had seen so many specialists and we, uh, we live in Cincinnati now and we've lived in Cincinnati at the time, even though we, we were gone for a while in between. So at the time we're at Cincinnati and this is one of the top children's hospitals in the country. And so people are assuring us, you know, oh, you guys are in the right place. You're very lucky to be here. Yet we would see these team of specialists who'd say, I've never seen anything like this. You know, I, I have no idea 
what to expect. And so there was one doctor out of that time who said, you know, this could just be physical. You could just go home after four days and have like an otherwise healthy baby. And I was sort of pissed at that doctor because I thought, don't, don't set me up for, you know, disappointment and uh, heartache because it just seems so like, what are the chances it's only going to be, you know, her limbs. And, but anyway, that's what happened. She was, she was in the NICU for an hour. They checked her out. She was otherwise healthy and fine. She was eating fine. And she came home with us after four days. And so then it was just, and the great thing about having a, a daughter with a physical disability and a newborn is there's, they're just as helpless as any other newborn, right? And so it was very, you know, the, the newborn phase was just very normal and everything was really typical. We did suddenly have a lot more appointments and we had a lot of people coming to our house. And I would say in general, our first year sort of existed around the hospital. You know, she did end up having, um, the only other issue she kind of had that first year was that she also had a really small stomach. That's part of her diagnosis. And so we had a G-tube placed. And even though G-tubes, which are feeding tubes that you, you know, can pump like uh, food into directly through their stomach or medicine or anything, they're, they're usually pretty straightforward. And for some reason, we just had one that kept coming out a lot and we had a lot of issues, but yeah, that, so that first year, and even for the next few years, it, I mean, you know, our lives really revolved around hospital therapy. When she was a year old, we moved to San Antonio. We spent the, the next few years going to therapy three times a week, you know, every week. They didn't come to our house, so I was, you know, running around three times a week, taking her to therapy, and, and then whatever, doctor's appointments on top of that. But the other thing was just... So, I mean, that, that was just kind of like the, the timeline, I guess, and, and sort of, you know, what life was like. But, but I also think the thing that really came from it was, was this understanding of how much it didn't matter that she had this disability. Right. That's something that I've noticed as someone who's followed your blog and, you know, your Instagram for, you know, 15 <laughs> yeah. years, decade, yeah. I don't know how long it's been, is just how... First of all, she seems to have like the the, the yeah, coolest personality. And then it's also like yeah. so normal. Like it's yeah. normal. And I love that you provide a window into, you know, you're this artist and now an author, which we'll get to that in a minute. But it's just it's yeah. just normal. And I think you know, there there is this progression of, you know, I'm not I'm not born with a disability. I'm a special needs mom. And there, and I've learned that there's a big difference between that. And so when she was born, everything was new to us. So everything she did was fascinating and it was amazing. And so there is this progression where I think at the beginning, we were interested in her body and how it worked all the time. And, um, and, and although at the time we didn't have to worry too much about special tools or anything yet because she was a baby. So at the beginning, I think, uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to explain this eloquently, but um, but you're right. It's so normal now, but at the beginning, you know, we were, I don't want to say fascinated, but maybe that's a good word to use for it. Like when she started using her feet for things, um, you know, to it first start with like her picking up little fishy crackers and eating them with her feet. And that was so exciting to me because we didn't show her how to do that. She just did it. And, you know, for your, for your listeners, it might help to kind of know a little bit what her body is like. So she doesn't have most of her left arm. She has a very short right arm. It's a little bit longer right arm, but it stops about where the elbow is, and she doesn't have a typical hand on that arm. So it, it's, um, she doesn't have a, a opposing thumb, so she can't pick up things with her hands. Um, her legs are both a lot shorter than typical, and one leg is even shorter than the other one, but she has um, two feet, and she has nine little toes, and so her, her toes and her feet are, are basically her hands. 
but, but again, when she was little and, you know, all her limbs were affected, we didn't know, you know, I didn't know, would she be able to use her, her feet effectively? And so all of that at the beginning was very exciting for us. And then, you know, as time wore on, as, as things just became more normal, you know, it normalized for us. And, and as you know, one thing I did on my blog uh, when she was about a year old, I said, you know, because I wrote about it the whole time. And, and a big part of writing about it was we had so many friends and family. It was the easiest way to get this information out there all at once. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, this was back, like you said, in the kind of early days of blogging where everyone had a blog. And, you know, I just thought most of our friends and family were reading it. And then it was really that writing became cathartic and a way for me to process sort of, you know, this unique parenting experience I was having and just all the ups and downs of, you know, your life revolving around medical appointments and hospital visits and the very public nature of her differences because they're so visible, kind of learning to deal with that. I want to talk about that for a second, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah. Some of my favorite posts that you've done have been in the spirit of helping kind of well-intentioned people know what to do and say and act and interact with someone who is differently abled. Yeah. So how can parents have these sensitive conversations with their kids about inclusivity? What What is the right way to approach this situation from your perspective as a mother and where this is, you know, your daughter's ex- experiencing life in a, like on the one hand I say normal and I don't mean to minimize, right. no, I know you know, you what the, the gravity of the situation, but also just that when I watch what you, the way you live your life, it's very, in my opinion, very aspirational. And, you know, it just seems very rooted and grounded and like everyone is treated equally in your family. Like it doesn't seem like there's any <laughs> there's no, there's like I no shame. So. There's no, I'm not a fly on your wall, but yeah. I'm just saying from the outside, <laughs> right. it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, what are some ways that we as people, as parents, you know, how can we be more sensitive? How can we be more inclusive? Yeah, that, no, that's a great question. Um, well, I think the first thing is talking to your kids about differences, you know, ideally before, you know, they see it maybe for the first time in real life or out, out in public. And so uh, library books can be a great way, maybe finding uh, videos online. I know a lot of parents will go to my blog even and just kind of look through some of my interviews because I have photographs and just kind of share diff- pictures of, of kids who might look different. Obviously, not all differences are something you can see, but for young children, when they do see those differences, that, that is when you get, you know, a strong reaction for someone like my daughter. And so I think just, just talking to them about it in a way that you would talk about, you know, race or anything else where you say, you know, that they're just born different and that's just how they were born. That's how God made them, whatever wording you feel comfortable. You know, that's, that's why I feel so uh, strongly about that representation and exposing kids to things um, because, you know, again, as part of this journey of like my understanding in the beginning, I was like, well, of course I understand, you know, little kids have never seen anyone like her before. And, and I understand their curiosity and I still do. And I believe very much, and I've always tried to be someone who educates kids around us, you know, that maybe have questions and stuff. But the further along I got into it, I realized like, oh, they've never seen anyone like that because purposely they've been left out of the media. They've been left out yeah. of these things because uh, 20% of the world has a disability of some kind. I mean, it's the largest minority group in the world. You know, it's a population the size of China. And when you look around at 
media and magazines and children's books and TV shows, you, you don't see anywhere near that representation. Mm. And so then for a while, and that's really a conversation that we're seeing happening. I mean, this is a conversation that's happening around race, around disability, around, I mean, this, this concept of representation is, seems to be so important. And I, and it's like happening right now in real time, but I think you started your special needs spotlight how long ago did you start your special needs spotlight? Um, I wanted to talk about that really quick. Yeah, I believe about seven years ago. I think it was when she was around a year old. So yeah. And I personally was unaware of anything else like that right. online that I could find. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was really, it's like early stages when you think of where we've come as a society. I mean, now we're seeing a lot more representation. We're seeing way less. Yes. There's a lot of women's brands now that aren't airbrushing. They're showing, right. you know, postpartum bodies and it's like yeah. really awesome. Yeah, it's like it's amazing. I think this is a much better world for our I mean, could you imagine if we had been teenagers when like when they weren't airbrushing, I don't know. You know, like I just think about like how would that I have, wonder how, how would that have impacted me, you know, to And even like the fitness craze, right? Yeah. Like I, I see it even on Instagram now. Like everyone is so obsessed and and great. Like good for people right. for exercising and being healthy. Like there's no problem with that. But but just the extremes of it and the obsession with youth. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. there's, there's definitely a, a, a larger tension at, at play. Yeah. So, so you started your spotlight mm-hmm. seven years ago. Right. What is the time commitment like? And can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the special needs spotlight is? Yeah, sure. So the special needs spotlight, when I started it, because I was documenting our journey online and I, it was so cathartic for me, I thought, you know, I want to give other parents this opportunity to, to have, to have a platform. Um, and at the time, I really just thought about other specialties parents because that's that's what I was. And I also, in a way, I think I wanted to sort of have have other people just get, kind of get this peek in of what what our normal looks like, you know, because that is what's what was interesting and different. I know for so many people. And so it just started with, and it's funny because I look back and I remember telling my husband, like, I'm going to, I'm going to interview someone and have them on the blog, like every Friday. And he was like, every Friday you're going to do this? I'm like, yeah. And, and not that he wasn't supportive. I just think he was like, that, that could be a lot. Like, you, are you sure? And, um, and so I just, I remember I started, like, I reached out to some people I'd met online and just started with two people. And I just kind of went from there. And so the first you know, and, and it, it, all it is, is it's an interview that I feature on my blog every week. And now, of course, there's, you know, I've thought about doing podcasts or video. I mean, there's so many other ways it could go, but I, I've still done it the same way. It's just an, you know, I email them. I ask, there's five to seven questions that they're usually pretty much the same one. I kind of, sometimes they're tweaked depending on the person, their story. And, you know, people answer questions, they send in, you know, some pictures and it's just, it's just this peek into what their life is like with maybe this kid and their diagnosis and, and it really, yeah, it just, it just became, I, I think when I start, well, I know when I started it, I thought, oh, I want to show everyone kind of what, what our life is like. This is sort of like, I'm, I'm on in this club. You all don't know. Let me give you a window into it. And I pretty quickly realized that I know nothing, that I was just as in the dark about, you know, I may have known our little experience, but that's all I really knew. And it really became an education for me and, and for everyone else. And there were so many weeks where I just had tears running down my cheek and just really felt like this, you know, felt like a holy, holy thing I was doing week to week, depending, mm. you know, depending on these stories. Um, time commitment wise, it depends. Now, now I'm, you know, lucky enough where I can, you know, put it out something on Instagram or something and say, Hey, 
you know, if you want to be a part of it and people email me because it, it really did get hard trying to chase down people. And occasionally I still will seek someone out if it's someone specific that I want to feature, but usually I ask people to come to me and it's just the time commitment of doing the emails back and forth. I, you know, there's a lot that I can copy and paste, but I do, when I send the questions, I copy and paste the individual questions and I go back and I personalize each one for people as I do it, because I really want that personal thing. I don't want them to feel like it's a form letter, you know, and then they send it back and then it's editing and, you know, doing all that stuff with the blog post. Um, So how has this process helped you to ground into where you are today as an advocate and a mother? I don't think I would be it without it. I mean, I I would know I wouldn't. I think a lot of people assume that a lot of my understanding and my, you know, my dedication comes just from being Lamp's mom when I would say it's got to be at least equally split with having done these interviews. Be- because along the way, I then I started interviewing adults who were disabled. And getting that firsthand account, that's what really started to help me shift my perspective of, you know, because my perspective before was, oh, I'm a mom going through this. I, I had this baby who has this difference. And now I realize, you know, this is my, my daughter is disabled. And this is her life. And as much as I... And there with her through a lot of it, I don't, I don't experience it. I, you know, I'm not in her body. I don't see it through her eyes. And so when I started to interview individuals, I feel like that is when my eyes were really open to the importance of advocacy, to what ableism is and to understanding that there, and I knew I was already experiencing at times this discrimination or that my daughter was experiencing it, or sometimes we as a family were experiencing, but I didn't realize it had its own term for people who are disabled. And that's what ableism is. And so yeah, it just, it just opened my eyes to this whole, it was almost like, I don't know, just like being given the new set of eyes and just like, oh my gosh, what I thought I was seeing, I wasn't really seeing, you know? That's really what I take away from the spotlight when I read it is it's a deeper empathy and it's a realization of bringing awareness to my own life and how I can show up differently and be a better person in how I treat other people where before you kind of you know, your, your natural reaction is like, I don't know what to do and I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm going to, I'm just not going to do anything and I'm going to walk away. I'm going to like look at the ground and instead of thinking of like, how do we go in? And I think that doing the special needs spotlight, it's not only a, a window, but it's also, there's always this conversation that you follow up with. And I've seen you do this multiple times through Facebook posts and other things that I've, I know I've shared with on my feed because I'm like, moms, you know, this is, as a mom, you know, my kid will make a comment that you're just like, you know, you can't yeah. control them, their children, but you want to try to help, you know, this is how we create a more empathetic world is by really understanding. And these, and like you said, if, if there's no representation for people with disabilities in the media, then they're not yeah. visible, right? They're visible in our daily lives, but like, how are we really creating a space if they're not represented on a larger scale? So I love that you're doing that work. I think it's such, such important, like really make a difference type of work. Yeah. You know, I, I realized, you know, a few years ago, I wrote a post called, I think I called it something like what's really wrong. And it was the realization that, you know, my daughter who was six years old at the time was sometimes regularly being asked, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Oh, what's wrong with you? And you think about a person being asked that all the time by complete strangers. Um, and you're only six years old. And what does that do to you over a lifetime? Mm. And I realized, you know, and it took me a while to see it, but this idea of representation, it, it's not just like, oh, I, you know, I want my kid to be seen because, you know, she, you know, just, just for the sake of being seen, it was, 
when you have a lack of, of awareness on a macro level, you have a heightened awareness on a micro level. And so it was, mm. it's this awareness that has a real, a real impact on her life. I mean, she has literally been at playgrounds um, or I can think of like the Disney cruise where she has been surrounded by a group of children. This has happened more than one time, you know, wondering what's going, you know, pointing or staring or asking her questions. I mean, you know, my husband and I have been there, thankfully, but I mean, that is the real impact, that kind of ignorance. And, and it's not the kid's fault that, that the world that we, you know, have cultivated doesn't, they don't see anyone. They've never seen anyone like her, literally. And because of that, they just, you know, it's, she kind of has this lack of privacy because of it. And so that, so in some ways, I think sometimes people are like, oh, wow, you're so public with her and you're, you know, this or that, and I, you know, and is, it, is that okay with her? And I'm like, listen, she, she lives this every day. You know, she is, she is front and center mm -hmm. every day. And she has seen me since she was a very young age, talk to this with kids. And so she knows as much as she doesn't like it, she knows that what I'm doing is trying to like dissipate, you know, that for her and make it easier because either way that, that, that conversation's happening, you know? Well, this is world changing yeah. stuff. Like this type of, this type of mental shift, uh, this, this, like, like you were saying macro yeah. shift. I mean, that's stuff that changes, it changes the way people do yeah. things and it. The ripple effect goes on. And this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you today, because I, I look at, you know, our podcast is called the intentionist and it's in, about intentional living and kind of following your heart and doing the kind of work that, that has these types right. of ripple effects. So I want to talk to you about what the impetus was for creating a children's book. I know we've been talking about representation, but like at what point were you like, this needs to happen? Yeah, so and talk to me a little bit about the process of the children's book that you have coming out. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you asked because this is actually like, I love talking about this process as much as the book itself, because I think it was really important. I don't, have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic? Have you read that book? I have it and I have thumbed through <laughs> okay. it and I'm so familiar with it, but I've not actually read the book and everybody asks me, have <laughs> okay. you read this book? And I'm like, so I need to read this book. Obviously. your name. So once again, so the universe yes. is telling you to read the book. Yeah. Um, there's <laughs> yeah. a part of the book and I think she even does this on her TED talk where she kind of talks about like ideas being this like ethereal, they're sort of like out in the universe, you know, and that we're not these brilliant geniuses who come up with everything, but like the ideas are out there. And if you're open to it, they kind of land on you. That was very much the experience I had. I was actually at a a blogging conference. And I had been thinking specifically about this message that I wanted to share for a long time and thinking, how can I, you know, how can I get this message out in the world? And I'd written blog posts about it and that was great. And they got shared often. Um, the, the blog was being like, how do you navigate a special needs encounter? Kind of like we were asking earlier, you know, what do we do as parents when our kids, you know, see someone or whatever. And so I'd written that blog post and, and I was at this, conference. And I remember talking to these women and, and telling them kind of my story. And one of them was like, you should write a book. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I plan on doing that. And it, you know, and then she was like, no, I mean like a children's book. And that was like, that is when like the idea, like the, the universe literally was like, hello, McFly. Like, you know, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is for you. Yes. And I was like, you know, it was very much like a, oh my gosh, that's it. And I got very excited about it immediately. And, you know, and I'm at the right place because uh, we actually saw each other at all years ago. As you know, it's just like a creative, mm -hmm. like, you know, you just kind of come away feeling really inspired. You hear a lot of people, you meet a lot of people. 
you learn a ton. ton. So I have this idea there. And while I'm there a couple days, like it's the last day of the party. This might, I wonder if this was even the one I I saw you at. There's, so they do like a big closing party. And Mm -hmm. I remember at this closing party, they specifically had this, uh, this woman named Marilee Lydiard, who is a Mermag blog and she makes these beautiful dolls and she's an illustrator. She's just amazing. They had her sitting down to an illustration so you could like wait in line for a portrait done by Marilee. So a lot of people are doing it. I was like, yeah, I want my portrait done by her. Wait in line for like 45 minutes. I get up to the front and she sees me and she's like, she, you know, starts to draw and then she's like, wait, is your name Amy? And did you go to BYU Hawaii 20 years ago? And I was like, wait, yeah. Like I, what we know each other. She's like, yeah, you, you would probably remember me, but yeah, like I immediately just, I just had this flash of recognition and I was just like, holy shiz, she's going to illustrate my book. I just had that, like, this is my illustrator. And I was like, I love that, by the way. I freaking yeah. love these stories. This is like what I live for. I live no, for this. I, I'm I like, mean, oh my gosh, really at a conference like, and then 20 years ago. And then this, oh my gosh. You know, like, I was, <laughs> this is why I really felt like the universe literally was like, this is what you're going to do. And, and, and I had felt the like, you know, some of these and, and kind of like putting it out there, like, okay, help me, you know, yeah. if you want me to do this, help me. So, well, because on top of this, like you've been, you've been doing the spotlight, like this has been 10 years in the making, mm-hmm. right? Like you've well, been, I mean, at the time, like maybe five years. Yeah. But years in the making, I mean, I've done, so as of right now, I think I've done 220 some interviews. So at the time I was probably at a hundred something, you know, um, cause mm-hmm. it, you know, seven years, if you do the math, it really hasn't been every single week, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but still it's been, but hundreds consistent. of interviews, Amy, I mean, that's, yeah. right. that's of, a master's degree, you know, that's it, it. and that's, that's really what it was, was it. Yeah. I mean, when I look back, it, it didn't start with the book. It started with this idea I had and, and doing a little thing consistently week after week, year after year. And really refining your voice, right? Like knowing where you can speak up, where you, how to, how to say that, you know? Yeah. Because then on top of it, I'm, I'm learning these ideas. I'm seeing perspectives. That's leading me to writing these other blog posts that are giving me all sorts of ideas. So yeah, it really was, it was all like building on top of it. Anyway, I'm still at this conference and I'm, I'm leaving the conference and I'm still having this like K universe. Like if there's anything else you can do, help me out. And I am in the, I go to the airport. And I go to the airport security line. I get right behind this woman named Rachel Fawcett, who runs a blog called Handmade Charlotte, which is very well known. She's done, you know, collaborations with like anthropology. And I mean, she's like a badass businesswoman. She was like one of the main speakers at all. Like not someone I would have ever talked, like walked up to and had any business talking to. But I'm also like, oh, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> like, Okay. <laughs> The universe answered my prayer yeah, and like, she's in front of my at the I'm security in line. So. Security line with this lady. So yes. we start chatting and she's, you know, and you know, what do you do and what do I do? And we're sharing everything. And um, and she's like, Oh my gosh, like that's amazing. I was and she and she asked me, like, well, what are you gonna do with that? Are you gonna make a product line? Are you gonna do this? And I was like, actually, I want to write a children's book. And she was like, Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, I have all these contacts in the publishing world. Like, I'll give you all of them. Like, yes. And I am just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is incredible. So I just get, I'm just excited. And she does, she gives me her business card. I get all sorts of excited and I start writing the book on the plane ride home. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is happening. I'm probably going to have a book deal within like two months. I'll probably be like presenting my book at the next, all. this will be perfect. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I have obviously yes. no idea what I'm I, doing. I totally get the timeline <laughs> yeah. idea. Yes. This is, yes. And so, um, I, you know, I go home and get to work on it. And I remember telling my husband and, you know, he's like, okay, like do it. And I look back now and I really feel like the reason those things happened was to give me that that motivation, that excitement that I needed to keep going through it because it definitely was not two months. It took two years to, you know, get a publisher to finish the book. And once I, the publisher reached out and and we signed the deal, it still was like another year and a half, almost two years, you know, year and a half to get to where I actually have the book now. So, but the, but the other amazing thing about Merrily to kind of round back to the illustrators, I reached out to her after the conference, told her my idea. And I said, you know, would you want to illustrate this book? And and she was amazing because she worked in the publishing industry. So she had all this information for me. And she said, you know, you actually don't normally pitch books together. She's like, normally, if you're just an author, you just, you pitch your book and then they find an illustrator separately. Um, that being said, she's like, I really do love this idea. You know, I think that because we kind of have come from this similar world that we might be able to pitch us together. And so then I was even more excited thinking like, okay, great. Marilee's on board. But a few months into it, she had to pull out and she had to, and she said, and she was just too busy. And I understood. I mean, she was running a business. She was creating all these new brands and, and doing all this other stuff. So she couldn't really afford to put work in for free for something that, you know, wasn't her vision, wasn't sure it was going to happen. And she just had a lot on her plate and I, and I totally understood. So, but she was a valuable resource, gave me tons of information, you know, and, and kind of a similar thing happened with the woman, Rachel. I, she kind of fell off the radar not because she wanted to, she, she did end up writing me back, but it was a while later. She had been really sick. She did hook me up with the, the publishing contacts, but that's not how I ended up getting the publisher. In the end, I got the, you know, I found a publisher when I kind of put it out on my blog in a post that I was trying to, you know, get a children's book published, even though I, I wanted to keep it private because I was like, I don't want to be the girl who says I've written a children's book and like not get it published. <laughs> you know, I, right, you right. just want to be able to like, be like, you know, ta-da, I did this thing and none of you knew about it. But again, I felt that, that tug from the universe to say like, put it on a blog post. And, and in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, it's the same blog post I just mentioned called the one I, I was talking about called, uh, you know, what's really wrong. It was that same blog post. I finished the post, I closed it. And then I, I, I felt this like, no, you got to talk about your book because you're talking about representation, you know, put it out there that you're trying to add to this. And so I put right. it out there and, and had a woman who worked for a publishing company who was a special needs mom and who read my blog say, hey, I'd love to pass the manuscript on to my bosses. I can't promise anything. And that's how it happened. And then in the end, when I signed the contract and I said, hey, I really would love to see if we could get Mary Lee to be the illustrator, they, they were able to get her. And it, it all worked out. And so she ended up becoming so she the actual illustrator being, of the book the illustrator. years later. Yeah. It's interesting too. Do you think that there's some, I mean, part of it's just, like you said, it's part of it's just the process and, and patience and waiting for the universe and to kind of line things up and, yeah. and all of that. But, but do you feel like there was part of the process where you were, it was almost like there was a point when you were just talking where you, you mentioned that when you turned your focus outward, where it wasn't like this book that I want to create, that's for me, where it became about the audience and really about, I want to add to that. You used the phrase, Oh, I wanted to be the one to add to that representation. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was the, that was the focus all, I mean, like that was obviously part of the initial vision, but 
it almost seemed like there's a part where there was a letting go. Well, I think, <laughs> I think the letting go was actually the spotlight and the, the process of what I had learned doing that for years. That was at the beginning of the spotlight. It was like, this is, this is our story. Like this is our club. You guys, you guys don't know what's going on. And, and then I realized, Oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything. And by the bo- the time the book came around, that was definitely, um, that was definitely something of feeling like I had this, this bigger message that I wanted to get, that I needed to find a way to get out into the world. So, but I, th- yeah, but the letting go of it being about me, I think very much got refined over the years of blogging and even in other ways. I mean, there, I don't, you know, I don't know if you felt this Hillary, but you know, there were times that some really big time blogger would link to my blog and I'd be like, I'd have like this crazy amount of traffic. I'd be like, all right, this is it. I'm on a different road now. I'm going to be. And then, you know, like I'd kind of think it was my big break. And then I'd like traffic go back down to like what it was. And, and, or I'd like, I'd even be like, you know, I'd had, I was on the front cover of some big like AOL.com once. And I, you know, I would get little recognition over the years that I kind of think like, okay, this is, it's going to change things. And then it would go back down. And I think that I'm really glad that I had that experience of just like, kind of writing those kind of highs through and being like, yeah, it's, it's cool. Like I'm, you know, I was featured in a, an Australian magazine once and, and then it was just like, it was really cool, but it was just like, okay, I'm still me. This is still just what I do week after week. And it's not. And so I think that letting go was like years of that and realizing that there's always going to be that, that flux. It's always going to go up and down and you know, it's, it's about your method. Well, you've laid such a foundation and you see like what, where there are certain people on Instagram or, or blogging or whatever, and they blow up and there's something about timing and like what the zeitgeist is into. If it's right. like fashion blogging, or if you're at the, you know, yoga, there was like a big spike a couple of years ago of like, basically, if you're kind of like almost naked doing a yoga <laughs> yeah, pose, you're in, then you go, <laughs> And I follow some of those people, but you know what I'm saying? That it's good for them, but yeah. Yeah. And I think with what you're doing, it's, it's like a longer reach and it's, it's really thoughtful and there is such a foundation here and you've refined your point of view to such a a degree that, you know, I think of you as, as really an expert in this area. You're someone who I would be like, I want to read her column (laughs) every week to like, tell me how to live my life in this way. So (laughs) is there anything else that you wanted to mention about your upcoming book? Like what would you want the listeners to know about the book and where can they find it? Yeah. So they can, it's on pre-sale at amazon.com right now. I don't know when this post or when this. And what's the title? So the title is when Charlie met Emma and the actual like release date is March 12th. I believe after that, I, I think it will be in like Barnes and Noble and, and some other retailers. Some people have reached out to me and said, uh, like someone said, oh, I, I wanted to get it ordered for my local library, but they already had it on order. I think, you know, I think even overseas, someone said they were able to get it. So, so I think Amazon mainly is, a, is the best place to probably look right now, but I hope it'll, it'll be available more places as well. And I love this idea to buy one for yourself and then buy a second one to either donate to your school or to give to a friend. (laughs) I had so many people telling me that on Instagram when I announced pre-orders were on sale. I I was like in tears. I just couldn't believe how many people bought a copy for their their children's schools or if they had multiple children going to different schools, all their schools or or their local library. I just, yeah, I I was so touched by that. And, And I think, you know, so... As far as like what I'd want readers to know about the book, I, I would say, you know, for me, the, the, the purpose of the book is multifold. And one of the ones that I've already touched upon is representation. 
And so if you are someone who cares about, you want the books in your home to reflect the values you have and you care about the representation. So you have books that have people of color and, you know, maybe feminist books and, and those kind of things. I would just say, this is, you know, one of the reasons I, I did this was to have that book. So when your your kid or whoever's kid is out in the world and, and sees someone like my daughter, um, cause the little girl on the cover, she doesn't have any hands. She has two shorter arms. Um, and then she's in a wheelchair. So it's just, and she's right there on the cover, which I love. And, and she's beautiful. She's standing next to her, her, her friend, Charlie, who is typical. And so to me, it's about, you know, helping our kids learn from an early age. Like, yeah, people are born like that. That happens. And it's cool. Right. And kind <laughs> yeah. of demystifying, yeah, demystifying what's going on. It's perfect. Yeah. So uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Can you tell us your, your blog and social media links? Yes. So my blog is This Little Miggy Stayed Home. So Miggy was, it's actually a take off my middle name, which is Manon. So it was my like alias for a long time. And then on Instagram, it's This Little Miggy and Facebook, This Little Miggy. So that's pretty much all my handles are This Little Miggy. Yes. And give her a, a follow. And, and like I said, if you want to go on to Amazon pre-order When Emma Met Charlie... And get a couple copies. Give them to your friends. Amy's, I'm so happy for you, Amy. This is, this is great. Oh, and I think Lord. that, like you said, you were, you were moved by people wanting to buy one and then another. It's like, this is what I think long-term foundation building is that you have people who are truly invested and want to see you succeed. And, and yeah. I think that's got to feel rewarding and feel good. It so. does. And you know, and just like you said, it's also, we're at the right moment. You know, people want this. People want to see, we want to see the world as it really is. You know, yeah. we don't want airbrushed. We don't want all size zeros. Like we want to see the world as it really is and the, the beauty of that diversity. And so that, that's, what's really great is I think people are excited for this book because they, they want to have that resource for their kids. You know, And I think people do feel, I mean, you know, we're in this kind of unsettling everyone's so unsettled. There's a lot of noise. And so when yeah. people can do something, this is like, this is a, a way that you can do something to continue to propel yeah. consciousness into the, yeah. what I think is the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, this is how yeah. we do it. We support artists. We support people who, who have missions that we align with. We continue right. to focus on what's good in the world. We continue to wake up every morning and look outside and, and choose to see see what's really there, but then also see what, what's possible and how yeah. can we move into the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, Amy, thank you so much for your wow. time. I really appreciate you being on, you. on the show with us. Oh my gosh. Well, it was my pleasure. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.